And good evening, Hampton Roads. Welcome to another edition of Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna, alongside me as usual, CFP, Allison DeBrill. Together we come to you live every second and fourth Tuesday of the month to dialogue with you, take your calls. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, then this is your forum to discuss. We hope you jump on the phone lines, give us a call, 627-7979. No matter what Alice and I are talking about, if it's important to you, it's important to us, we'll get you right on air. Wealthway Financial Advisors is the proud sponsor of Dollars and Common Sense. We are an independent registered investment advisor, which means we're legally held to a a fiduciary standard to put our clients' interests ahead of our own in any business dealing. That's the way it should be when you work with a financial advisor. As a premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, we integrate expert investment management with comprehensive ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. So by design, we can't work with everyone. We work with a relatively small group of high net worth individuals, but that's one of the reasons we feel so strongly about coming here every second and fourth Tuesday, and that's to reach out and help as many people in the Hampton Roads listening area that we can achieve your measure of financial success. Because it is a core belief at Wealthway Advisors that the overwhelming majority of people in this country have the opportunity for financial security if they choose it, and it is a choice because it takes some time, it takes some effort, it takes some knowledge. We are here to help. you got to take that first step, though. Pick up the phone, give us a call, 627-7979. Whether you want to talk about anything having to do with the investment markets, the economy, uh, insurance products like life insurance, health insurance, property casualty, taxes, tax planning, tax reduction strategies, um, mortgages, Social Security issues, retirement planning, retirement plans, 401Ks, 403Bs, estate planning, wills and trusts, all that and more falls under the umbrella of personal finance. We are here to discuss tonight, 627-7979. Good evening, Allison. Good evening. I thought we would tackle taxes. Everyone loves taxes, right? So much right? fun. <laughs> this is going to be crazy. Uh, not the angle you're thinking. We're not going to uh, tackle the tax bill that's being, you know, debated right now, but we will talk about some practical effects that taxes have on retirement. So, you know, when you're a retiree, you have 401k plans, IRAs, retire- all your retirement accounts, and there are some tax traps that you can fall into or just some situations that might take retirees by surprise. Because uh, if you are, I was going to say a retiree, but really if you're just anyone and you're not completely up to speed on the, all of the ins and outs of the tax code, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Right, and who really is? Exactly. No one. That's who is. Right. Zero people. <laughs> Zero. So we're at least going to hit some high points of things that you should be on the lookout for when doing your retirement planning and when in retirement. We can kind of talk about the role of taxes and how they may come into play and impact some of your decisions. But really first, the first point we want to tackle is what are taxes going to look like in retirement? Many people ask the question, okay, are my taxes going to be higher and lower? And like all good financial planning questions, the answer is, it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really depends. I mean, first and foremost, it depends on tax 
rates. So we don't ever know what tax rates are going to be in the future. And we, as a firm, don't make a point of predicting, trying to predict or forecast that. We work with current tax law to the best of our abilities. So you don't know what tax rates are going to be in retirement, but typically you will be in a lower tax rate in retirement than you were when you were working, but it might not be as dramatic of a change as you would expect because you won't have lots of itemized deductions. I mean, most people now, actually, whether you're working or retired, take the standard deduction. About 90%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't bank on having a lot of big tax deductions in retirement. And then, you know, what do you want to do in retirement? Most people want to finally do all the things that they have put off for a lifetime while they were working and saving. So you want to have fun and use the money that you saved. And there are tax implications when you start using retirement savings. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. Yeah. So if the money's coming out of um, pre-tax savings vehicles like your 401k plan or your TSP or your 403b plan, uh, or your simple IRA, then the money that comes out of those traditional um, large retirement plans is going to come out uh, as ordinary income. So just like uh, you were getting ordinary income, it's paycheck income. So um, if you were making $100,000 in, in salary before your retirement and you need to withdraw $100,000 from your uh, 401k or IRA or retirement fund, then you're going to pay tax on that same $100,000 just as if you got it through a paycheck. Mm -hmm. You may have different buckets to pull from. You may have some 401k retirement tax deferred accounts. You may have some regular brokerage savings that then would just be subject to capital gains tax on any gain that you realize when you decide to sell the investment and use the money for spending. Or you may have Roth money, which as long as done properly, would come out tax-free. So you may have some options and some ability to strategize from a tax perspective about how to start withdrawing from your nest egg in retirement. And I should point out um, some philosophy and strategy here um, from our perspective. Um, you know, reducing your tax bill, legally reducing your tax bill is important to your own financial health. And where opportunity presents itself, you should attempt to do that. But that activity should really be secondary to the overall activity, the primary objective of trying to maximize your overall net worth, growing your wealth over time. Um, so many times when we sit down with new clients, one of their primary objective might be to reduce or try to eliminate their tax bill. Well, under the current tax regulation, you just can't do that without giving away all your money or losing all your money or, or some other detriment to your net worth. So don't let the tax tail wag the dog, okay? It's important to try to lower your taxes, but don't do that at the expense of your overall uh, the growth of your overall net worth. That's what's most important. And unfortunately, the way the current tax code is, the more you make, the more they're going to take. Uh, the more When you turn a profit on investment, you're going to have to pay some tax. But where we can 
move some things around, where we can use some advanced tax planning, then we're going to try to do that because most people taxes make up, uh, if not the largest, uh, one of the top three expense line items in a household. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So we're talking about the role of taxes in retirement and retirement planning right now, but your point is a really good one about being proactive. You know, where you can do a lot of your tax planning for retirement is actually in the accumulation phase, actually making sure that you're creating different buckets that have varied tax treatment so that you have a lot of flexibility and can be very strategic in retirement about where you're pulling your income from. Yeah, the time to do tax planning is not April 14th, the day before taxes <laughs> or are due. It, it's not even before December th- or, or after December right, 31st. Or December 31st <laughs> right. on the last day of the year in which you know your taxes get calculated on. Um, tax planning for that year starts on January 1 and you work it through over the course of the year. Good proactive tax planning over your lifetime uh, starts the moment you start getting a paycheck and looking ahead into the future and finding out uh, what the best uh, tax-preferred investment savings vehicles are. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the role of taxes in retirement and in retirement planning. And something that seems to surprise a lot of people that we talk to is the fact that Social Security can be and often is taxable. Mm -hmm. Many people don't realize that if you have a certain amount of income, and we can talk about the specifics, um, but if you have a certain amount of income, part of your Social Security benefit is taxable. So you look at your adjusted gross income and you add half of your Social Security benefit to that. And that will give you what they call provisional income. You don't have to remember any of this. I'm just kind of breaking down how they calculate it. So all of your adjusted gross income and then half of your Social Security benefit. And if it is more than $44,000 a year for married filing joint couples, then 85% of your Social Security benefit will be taxable. If it's more than $34,000 for single filers, same thing. 85% of your Social Security benefit is taxable. Um, You know, could they make that more complicated? I I don't know. Yes, they could. (laughs) Don't give them any ideas. Uh, It's a lot. But your takeaway is that your Social Security benefit could be subject to taxes. And here is another key point that many people don't realize. When you claim Social Security, they don't withhold taxes. Automatically. It's not even an option when you claim. You actually have to file a separate form to have federal taxes withheld from your Social Security benefit. So you can imagine how many people don't realize it's taxable and don't realize there are no taxes being withheld, and that can cause you some problems around tax time. Mm. So make sure you elect federal withholding on your Social Security benefit um, as appropriate. All right, talks about uh, retirement tax planning tonight. If you want to jump in on this topic or talk about anything having to do with your personal financial situation, jump on the phone lines, give us a call, 627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. Financial Advisors, Planning for Life. And 
welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison Debril, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with comprehensive ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. 627-7979 if you want to jump on the phone lines and jump into the conversation on retirement-specific taxes and tax planning. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about the role of taxes in retirement. We're going through some things to be aware of that might not be commonly known and some pitfalls and traps just to to watch out for. So we talked about tax rates in retirement. While they you may expect them to be lower, there are situations where your taxes may not be lower because of tax rates or because of the way your nest egg or your retirement income is structured. Um, and the fact that Social Security is taxable for many people. Once you have a certain amount of adjusted gross income, that will cause your Social Security benefit to be taxable. So you want to be on the lookout for that and you want to make sure you elect withholding on your Social Security benefits. Unless you want to get surprised by a tax bill or some people pay quarterly estimated taxes um, because they haven't... True. They haven't... um, um, withheld enough from the Social Security benefit. You can do that too. Mm -hmm. So we talked about uh, having different buckets of savings in retirement to have some flexibility for tax purposes. And one of the questions we often get as people are transitioning to retirement or in retirement is, can I still contribute to my IRA? So they may have been making tax deductible contributions while working or they just may have extra cash flow and they may want to make IRA contributions. Well, up until a couple of years ago, you could not contribute to a traditional IRA after you turned 70 and a half. That was just a a solid cutoff. But with the SECURE Act of 2019, it lifted that age limit. So now anyone of any age can contribute to a traditional IRA as long as you have earned income. So that's the second piece of the equation that many people get, uh, they miss. They think, well, I've got my pension and I'm, you know, earning my income. I have income. Can I contribute? Mm. No, it has to be earned income. It has to be W-2 or um, it can be business income, but it does have to be earned and not pension or retirement income. Yeah. So for most people, that's going to be income from wages or um, profit from uh, a business that you are a uh, an owner of, but um, that if most people for so for pensions and social security, uh, interest, bank interest, uh, dividends from mutual funds, capital gains distributions, none of that counts. Uh, it needs to be on. Oh, I used to know it was a line on the tax form. But oh, they, they've changed they all changed that. I, I know. know. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I used to know what line that, that box was on. I forgot. But one. It, uh, it's right. It's, it's right like near the top. A. It's in the top five boxes. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 
But if you have earned income, you can contribute up to $6,000 a year or anyone over the age of 50 can contribute an extra $1,000 for a total of $7,000 a year. And as long as you uh, meet certain income requirements, you can take a tax deduction for contributions that you put into a traditional IRA. So something you can do in your later years, but you have to have the earned income. All right, got a caller on the line. We have Jim in Newport News. Good evening, Jim. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Hey, guys. Uh, my question is, I'm retired military, and I have a military TSP that's basically traditional before uh, taxes, contributions, and I'm looking at transferring uh, that to an I- a traditional IRA and then over time converting it. My question is, should I move all of that money out of the TSP into an IRA at one time, or do you think it'd be better to do a a chunk of it a year? Because I'm not going to convert it all in one year. I've got to do it over time to keep my tax rates a little in the lower bracket is my idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How old are you, Jim? I'm coming up on 60. 60. Mm. Uh, You did say you were retired. Was that correct, Jim? Yes, retired military. Yeah. So the act of transferring the TSP money into a traditional IRA, which is step number one, that is a non-taxable event. Uh, you can do that at any time, and we and you will there will be no tax implications in that maneuver done properly, of course. Um, and we generally recommend that most people should make that maneuver. Um, you have more troll more control over the uh, investments in an IRA account than you do in TSP. You have more control over. Uh, the custodian or the bank or whoever you work with, um, they're easy to get access to. So generally we recommend that that people do that um, when they separate from service um, from the military or federal government with the TSP. Now step number two then is taking the money. So you could convert 100% of everything you got in your TSP to that traditional. Rollover. Rollover, Mm -hmm. sorry, yes. Rollover into the traditional IRA. And then step number two is to convert from the traditional IRA to a Roth. And what you were and the way you were describing it is that wisely you were looking to do it in segmented amounts that would prevent you from getting into too high of a tax bracket because everything that comes out of that traditional and converted to Roth is going to be ordinary income. That's when you're going to have right. to pay your taxes. So you you do want to manage your tax brackets there so you don't most likely don't want to do it all at once. Run yourself all the way up the tax ladder in one particular year, year and then you aren't doing it as tax efficiently as you otherwise probably could. So the strategy is a good one. You just have to do it in a couple phases. Okay. Jim, tell me, what is your your goal with the Roth conversions? What's your thought process there? My, my thought process is I, I'm betting that my taxes are going to be higher in retirement mm-hmm. than they are right now because the, the tax brackets are lower from now till 25. Again, that's assuming that it doesn't get changed mm-hmm. and assuming that the backdoor Roth stays in effect, and I know – Congress is looking at changing that. But my idea is, if I do it now, overall, I will pay less taxes 
than if I wait till taking it out in retirement because I think mm-hmm. I'm going to pay more because I think tax rates are going to go up. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it is a, it is a common strategy that that you see being practiced now. Mm-hmm. All right, and we'll probably have some more to more information to guide you on that decision, Jim. When we come back from this break, we got to pause here for the news a little bit. Uh, if you'd like, you can stay on the line, or if not, uh, Allison and I will take it from here. And thanks for your call. All right, we're going to step out, take that short break. We're going to be right back in a few minutes. If you want to jump in on the conversation, give us a call on the studio line six two seven. 7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. Welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with comprehensive ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. You can also sign up for a free quarterly newsletter or request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in there, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we will use your name and address for is just to send you that uh, information that you request. All right, six two seven seven nine seven nine to jump on the phone lines and uh, talk. Tonight we're talking about uh, retirement tax planning. So, you have any questions or comments on that, or anything having to do with your financial situation? Give us a call six two seven seven nine seven nine. Want to follow up a little bit on uh, Jim's question um, because it was a good one, and we're hearing it more and more these days with people concerned about potentially raising tax rates and tax brackets. Um, And so we're hearing a lot more people who want to convert traditional IRAs into Roth IRAs, which can be a viable strategy, but that conversion process is a taxable event. So you have to proceed with caution. And we have learned some interesting things through study and analysis about this technique. Yes, we've done a lot of research uh, about this recently because the conventional wisdom out there is if you retire somewhat early and you have some years where you have no income, no no large pension, you haven't claimed social security and your required minimum distributions haven't kicked in yet, then there could be some opportunity to convert some portion of your pre-tax money into tax-free money at low tax rates. Um, But when we try to put this into practice, because you are essentially pre-paying your taxes, it takes you a certain amount of time to break even from, from doing that. So you take money out of the traditional IRA, pay your taxes, and then it does grow tax-free going forward. But we're not seeing that break-even point until very late 80s, sometimes almost 90. So while it can save you a million, I've seen a couple million dollars in taxes over your lifetime, you may not 
actually really see the benefit of that. And so we might recommend this strategy for clients that feel very strongly about leaving a tax-free asset to their heirs. But if you're doing it for your benefit, just know that it takes quite a while for you to make up uh, prepaying those taxes. And that is even considering the, the tax loss sunsets that are scheduled for 2026. So not always a, a slam dunk strategy. It helps to have a long time horizon. Um, and I guess you could say it would help if future tax rates do jump up considerably. It'd have to be considerable, yeah, yes. I, it wouldn't be a help overall in society, but it, it would right. help in this We're one. not wishing for <laughs> right, that. Right, right. But <laughs> for this one particular strategy to work, um, a big jump up mm-hmm. in tax brackets, tax rates, um, would then make the numbers more favorable by converting today. Right. All right. Uh, okay, Brian in Virginia Beach, thanks for holding patiently. You are on Dollars and Common Sense. Hey, is that me? Yes, that's you. Hey, uh, actually, my name is Brent. Oh, Brent, oh, Brent. sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. So I got a quick question. Um, um, so this new cash app thing, like the peer-to-peer sharing, um, you know, I know you all like way smarter than me about finance and stuff, but like, so I run two different businesses right now. Um, and a lot of times, like my guys, like, you know, cause I only got the two, you know, debit cards and sometimes like my guys like, Hey, they need money and everything. And I'm like, cool. You know, what's it cost at, you know, this site where they're picking up like five, 600 bucks worth of material. Um, and I just sent them the money on cash app because it's so easy just to do the share to share thing. Um, I know with the new tax law, basically like they're going to start taxing us on that. So is there some kind of way that, like, I can get around that? Or, I mean, not around it, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not going to, like, get my guys in trouble because if they need money, I need to uh, send them the money. I see. So are we talking about a money transfer um, technology like PayPal or Venmo? Venmo yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. Cash App? Yeah, basically. A, yeah. And, and, you're, and you're saying that you think that there's going to be taxation on the transfer? Um, I think with that, that new law that I've been hearing about, um, about anything like it's over like $20,000 or something or like anything more than $600 on transactions, yeah. um, it's going to get taxed on. Well, it's... I'm just worried about that because, um, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just a small little time business owner. So it sounds like you're just trying to find an easy way to facilitate a transaction on your behalf. Like you're sending, you said your guys, an employee to go purchase supplies on your behalf, and you've been doing that using Cash App. Yes, because I only have, uh, like, two business cards. Right. I have one, and my business partner has the other. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see, I can see what you're saying that the IRS would look at that as not you purchasing supplies. They look at that as you sending money to another person, to an employee, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know enough about the proposed law. I don't either. No. To really give you much guidance there, Brent. I, you know, it is a common practice in business to allow employees to have purchasing power, um, whether that's a corporate credit card, whether it's the company checkbook, whether you give them a cash and a voucher system. Um, 
So I can see in today's modern world where this might look a little like a potential, like it's a way you could potentially pay your employees without withholding federal, state taxes, um, Social Security taxes, all that. But as long as the documentation in your books were in order, I would, I, I don't see how, how that could be subject to extra taxation. Well, I mean, I was just, I was just worried because, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I got all my guys on payroll. Um, and like I said, I only got two cards, but I got like six employees. So, and I'm running around between like two to three different job sites and, you know, I can't always give them the card. So sometimes like I have the card cause I'm, you know, buying materials and then my other business partner has his card cause he's buying materials cause we're on two different job sites. And I'm just trying to like, Hey, you know, I'd love to give them the card. Um, but you know, apparently the way, you know, cash apps working now is, and I really know, I'm just trying to get, you know, a little bit of financial device because, you know, I'm kind of new to, like, you know, running two different businesses right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm just, I, I'm looking for any kind of help. I mean, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm some construction worker, you know. Yeah. I'm I mean, not smart like anyone on financial <laughs> stuff. So well, I can... I'm just trying not to, I'm just trying not to, at the end of the year, I'm just trying not to have the IRS be like, hey, guess what? Um, you owe us everything you just made last year. Um, and, hey, congratulations. Um you got zero dollars. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see how that type of a transaction could be misconstrued. Um, it might be worth talking to your vendors to see if you could set up some other uh, pay, like a, a account, with them to make it easier for you to facilitate those transactions without you having to be there. Um, or maybe talking to your bookkeeper or mm -hmm. CPA about the best way mm -hmm. to handle that because. Um, Without knowing too much about what's in the current proposal, since it's all subject to change, change is not um, law. I can see how that could be slightly misconstrued and make your bookkeeping more difficult. Right, but I would yeah. expect that as long as the books were in order and you can justify that the payment was transferred, the money was transferred for payment of materials, that's a fair and legitimate you know, transaction that does should not, in my in my mind, pose any additional excise tax. Okay, that, that makes me feel a little bit better because, like I said, like I have a I pay a bookkeeper to do all my stuff, um, and she's very good at what she does. But I'm just I'm just worried about you know, you know, sometimes when I transfer these guys, it's like hey hey go to, we I've got a lot of vendors and we have accounts with them, but sometimes like I just have to pay the cash and the mm -hmm. money up front. And, you know, sometimes like, oh, my account's maxed out. So it's like, hey, cool. Well, I'll just give you the cash, you know. But I just don't want my guys, my employees to get screwed at the end of the year, mm -hmm. you know, be like, oh, well, you know, they sent me $10,000. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's all business yeah. stuff. Brent, when you, so, when, you transfer, then, when you transfer that money, then it goes on to, like, their app, and then that app is then used at the business. The business then accepts it, or they have to go physically get cash from a place. So I have most of my guys set up on Cash App because it's honestly the quickest way to transfer money left and right. Because I've, I've you know, got all my employees' Cash App cards because, you know, I could take my business account uh, and transfer cards. money instantly. Yeah. All right. Right gotcha. over to them. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, it. hey, you know, we're, we're gotcha. going to this, you know, account. Oh, I need to get like three or four pallets worth of material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. It's going to be like, you know, $4,000. Right. Well, cool. Here you go. Here's the money. 
use the Cash App card. Gotcha. That, you know, I bought you, but it's on you. But it's like, hey. Yeah, but it looks like compensation. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I got a pretty good picture about. of it now. No, I mean. The employee who uses the Cash App card gets a receipt, right, from Lowe's or Home yeah. Depot or Joe's Plumbing and brings that back to your bookkeeper. You match the uh, Cash App transaction up with uh, a receipt for legitimate uh, work materials. Um, I mean, that's I, I, I don't know what extra tax that could um, provide unless, you know, unless, you know, people are not doing their books properly. I mean, I was just—I was just worried about it because you know I keep hearing on AM radio about you know um, the new peer-to-peer sharing thing, and they're going to try to tax people. So it's just trying to make—I'm just trying to like feel better, right? You know, a little bit because you know, like I—I I mean, I'm, my guys are compensated very well, um, and I bought them all the Cash App cards, and you know, I only use it for business because, like I said, I can't give like five employees all business cards. Right. Well, until the law gets finalized, Brent, you know, we're all kind of speculating at this point, but it sounds like what you're doing is uh, legitimate types of transactions. And at least at this point, I'll try to keep your, put your mind at ease that um, you're not going to have to worry about that too much. If more information comes around about this, we can follow up with another show. So thanks for that call. We appreciate it. We're going to run up to Newport News and speak with Edmund. Good evening, Edmund. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Hey, how you guys doing? We're doing great. Thanks for the call. Thank you. I'm enjoying the show. Uh, I had a question about asset allocation for short-term money. I know longer term, seven years, ten years or more, yes, you want to be in stocks. We have some money set aside for um, early retirement. We're uh, 50, My wife and I are 51, and we have uh, a good chunk set aside until 60 when we start drawing on our Roth. What's a good allocation, or how should the money be allocated when you only have, you know, one to nine years that the money's going to be used? All right. Well, a little bit of clarification on that. Um, first of all, I guess we would say, uh, you know, nine years is not short term. Uh, one year is short term. Um, medium term. So short term is we would probably define as one to three years. Medium term. Uh, three to seven, eight years. Anything longer than seven or eight years, long term. Uh, the longer, the the more we more money gets pushed out to the long term bucket, uh, the higher the probability that uh, a good investment program in like equities, stocks, uh, will yield you a higher result. But so you're kind of you know kind of spanning the spectrum there because you have about nine years to go. So. One, first of all, you do need to have short-term amount of cash on hand. Um, normally, the rule of thumb, three to six months for emergency purposes. But one of the strategies we like to use with our clients who are in the distribution phase of their lives, essentially retirement, and they're starting to live off their nest egg, is to uh, build up that bank account even further where we would keep upwards of maybe a year to upwards of two years in just cash, sitting in a bank, money market account. Uh, right now it's earning nothing, but it's very accessible, it's very liquid, and um, and it's and there's going to be no uh, deviation in value. And yes, you could maybe squeak out a little, a few more bucks by getting CDs, um, a six-month CD or 12-month CD, um, but probably 
Uh, we, so we would say that your short-term cash probably only needs to be up to two years if you do the rest of your investment process right. So does that, how does that mesh with what you're thinking right now? Um, that, that's helpful. So then how do, we're, we're going to actually be drawing on the money. So mm-hmm. we, we have approximately 500000 and we're going to draw on it 50000 a year for the next 10 years. So I get it. Keep two years cash. That's a hundred. Uh-huh. My my issue is, what do we do with the remaining four hundred? Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's a suggestion for you. So the rest of the four hundred goes into a well managed, properly diversified, growth oriented investment portfolio in a brokerage type of account. So it's not in retirement funds uh, accounts like an IRA. Um, so you can ac- access it below age 59 and a half without penalty. And then so each year you sort of roll. You draw out $50,000 of your bank account in one year and sell off $50,000 from that investment account and then move it into your bank account. So you're always kind of replenishing that bank account with one to two years worth of cash. And yes, it's possible that in some years you could be, we could have negative returns and that you could be, um, you know, selling some stocks while they're in a, a down position. But because you're only piecemealing the money out of the account, you're buying yourself time, that long time horizon, to only take out smaller chunks than the whole amount. And so by doing it that way, you maintain the high probability of having more money um, through equities um, and being able to have the certainty and safety and security of having easy and ready cash flow at the same time. Does that make sense? Yes, that's very helpful. Can you give a range of what might be appropriate amount of stocks versus bonds? Are we talking 50 to 75% equity versus bonds or 50-50? I mean, obviously it depends on your risk tolerance, but what's a range of something that would be appropriate? Yeah, well, I'm not going to give you any specific advice because that that wouldn't be proper given the the format, the radio format that we're we're on, and we would need to know a lot more about you and your financial situation to do that. But I will say this generally, uh, generally, that uh, we believe that there's more risk in bonds right now today than there are in stocks, um, and that the risk of a lower rate of return in bonds is greater than there is in stocks over the next at least five to 10 year period. And that's because we are in in a rock bottom interest rate environment. And as rates or when rates start to tick up, bond values are going to decline. So those old models of 50-50 portfolios or 60-40, we do not believe in them. We do not think they're appropriate today. And even clients who we have in our 70s and 80s and living off their nest egg uh, while we haven't abandoned bonds, we have dra- dramatically underweighted that allocation compared to historical norms. That's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys very much. All right, Edmund, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. We've got to run, take a quick break. We're going to be right back after these messages. 627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM790 WNIS. And 
welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with comprehensive ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. You can also request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter at wealthwayadvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put in your the appropriate information, and select uh, from the drop-down menu which of those items you'd like to receive, and we'll get them out later on to you uh, later on, get them out to you later on in the week. Want to remind everybody, our next show will be in two weeks on Tuesday, October 12th at 6 p.m. as usual. Or you might hear us as a rebroadcast on this Saturday morning. If you do, we are not live on Saturday. We are live every second and fourth Tuesday. And if you can't catch us uh, live on, on Tuesdays or rebroadcast on Saturdays, you can get this show as a podcast and take us with you wherever you go. Yes, search for Dollars in Common Sense wherever you get your podcast. Click subscribe and listen anytime, anywhere. Have just a couple minutes left in the show, so I want to wrap up a few thoughts on retirement tax planning. Yeah, we've been talking about the role of taxes in retirement and some things that people aren't aware of, the fact that some of your Social Security might be taxable and the fact that your nest egg, your different uh, account types in your nest egg may have different tax treatments. So being aware that money that comes out of your 401k, your IRAs, that's all taxed as ordinary income and is going to push you up those tax brackets. But if you have Roth money, that will come tax-free. And we did have a caller that asked about rolling over from a 401k or retirement plan into an IRA. That's a tax-free movement if done properly, trustee to trustee. And we do almost always recommend consolidating so that you have more control, visibility over those investments and a cohesive retirement withdrawal strategy. Yeah, you want to simplify your financial affairs as much as possible as you transition into retirement. Uh, Very rarely is there any benefit in excess uh, complexity um, and there should be a real good reason in order to have that. So consolidate all those retirement accounts, the TSP, the 401k, the TSP, uh, the 403B. The TIA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that the one TIA too. Two, yeah. Uh, into uh, an IRA. All right. We're going to be back in two weeks on Tuesday, October 12th. Until then, for certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. You've been listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. The preceding program was sponsored and paid for.